Hey, hey, welcome to another episode of Iron and Soul Podcast. I'm super excited to have my guest on today, my longtime friend, Jimmy Bertelli, um, a.k.a. Jimmy the Pipes, or a.k.a. Pipes. A.k.a. Just Pipes by pipes, itself. Just by itself. Welcome to the podcast, buddy. Hey, man, I appreciate it. it it's uh, I'm part of a esteemed league of guests that you've had on here former or friends of mine not former friends but all good people so i'm excited to be here as well yeah man i when when i started the podcast i i i you know i go down the list of when i first start, thought about it and started i have a list of people that i want on right away and right. of course yours is on so this is going to be tw- you're going to be the 12th guest so 12th guest episode 12 12 is my new lucky number new, new I like lucky it. number i can so, dig it uh there's a couple of things that we were chatting about um off air that I was like, we need to stop here right. and um, get to it. One is um, your journey to Gettysburg, right? And 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 how that discussion started about Gettysburg is Jimmy and I um, met at a CrossFit gym, fuck, maybe eight years ago. I think about eight years ago, about exactly. Eight years ago. And um, we'll get into that journey here in a little bit, but... Um, it was at 5.30 a.m., so we were talking about 5.30 mornings, and so tell me your what's up with Gettysburg and how that felt. And Yeah, so we were just basically talking about the morning feel of a 5.30 a.m. class when there's something about that fresh air. You can always feel it and smell it in the air, and in 2011, I had the opportunity to take a Olympic lifting coach, a USAW Level 4 coach that I had met, Joe Nelson. He took me from Jacksonville up to a college outside of Gettysburg where they were doing a week-long intensive Olympic lifting camp, which was so nice because they had an all-you-can-eat buffet-style cafeteria. Fuck yeah. <laughs> and I was, uh, I'm was i like a 30-year-old, 330-pound man, and there's a lot of kids and young adults mm-hmm. that are at these camps. So I'm standing in line, and everybody in front or behind me is 15 years old and tiny, and I've got these <laughs> plates of food, and they're just looking at me like, well, is, is this what I'm going to grow up to be like? Like <laughs> this guy? monster. But um, when we left there, we had an opportunity to go to Gettysburg, and I was just saying in the morning time over there, you know, I've never really been a big believer of energy in the air and feelings like that. But when you went to Gettysburg and you get out of the car and you start walking around and you see some of the plaques that they have memorializing certain things, and you just know that a thousand people have died there. Like I said, I mean, we mentioned this just 10 minutes ago, and I'm getting the second chill of goosebumps on my face and my arms here because you just know that that you can smell it in the air, the energy there, the feeling of whatever oppression and death that they had to deal with and come up and the fighting. And it's really weird how it was there, but I've always been really attracted to the morning air. Cause I feel like you get the best sense of energy in the morning air or right at like nine, 10 at night, right as dust is coming mm-hmm. around. I think those are the best times to even get out and run. Oh, yeah. I just feel like my speed seems better early morning, late at night. We take these, well, no, they're not so early anymore since I'm now self-employed. Um, working smarter not harder absolutely um, learned that from a book I'm not stealing that from somewhere is that I remember we would get up at 4 30 Jill and I and we'd take these super long walks with the weighted vest about 5 a.m and and it was just gorgeous and beautiful and especially in the spring absolutely when it first like is warm enough that you don't have to worry about being cold right but not Ho- super sweaty right Ho- hoodie and shorts kind of yeah weather. hoodie and shorts for her maybe hoodie and or uh, just shorts and t-shirt for the, my fat ass and right. then, um, just getting out there and it just was just calm and beautiful. I love that time in the morning. Man. Well, and there's tons of religious things and 
um, Buddha and yoga where they talk about getting up super early in the morning, 2.30 to 4.30 to spend time with self, be alone with your thoughts, think of things, do your after action reports for the day and time, and then spend, you know, an hour then putting effort into your body, you know, an hour's worth of physical exercise, stretching your yoga to make sure that everything's coming together to lead into that day. So I think like we've all universally known that that early morning time is just an amazing time to be, I think, awake and just, just, yeah, just the, the world comes alive. You could, the birds are coming up. It's the smell, the so you can, the, the lights coming around, it's coming back. Like it's this new cycle of birth. There's just, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a religious person, but there is a spirituality to that. Like, sure. What, I don't know what that, I can't put my finger on what that is, but I can either. It's very, um, I just had the opportunity to go down to Oklahoma last week and there was a 70 foot waterfall and it was absolutely amazing. Just being there in that environment, you can really tell the energy of the history of a place like that. Just being around it. How many native American warriors have swam in this pool and like been here for eons way before any of us had been. And it was just, I had to like sit there and just soak it in. It was unbelievable. So man, there's so many directions I want to go right Right. now. Um, but let's talk about van life. Van life. This is a this is a new life for me, but I'm telling you. So, what the? How did this? Right. I watched it all over social media. Happen, right. So, talk. Walk me through us. Walk us through it. Um. So I've always been a motorcycle guy. I've had mm. a couple of bikes, and it seems the older I get, the more afraid of dying I get. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm almost 35, and it's I and it's not. It's everybody always says it's not me. I'm not worried about me getting into a wreck. I'm worried about some lady pulling out in front of me, mm-hmm. some young adult that's texting, not paying attention to what's going on. And I just become a victim of circumstance, right? You know, it just happens yep. and it's going to continue to happen. And I feel like statistically being that I've ridden for about a decade now that I haven't had that happen. You know what they say? It's like eventually going to happen. It's going to happen. Yep. And, and unfortunately too many people don't come on the backside of that too well. So before this whole coronavirus thing happened, I had two motorcycles that were kind of down and out of commission, and I ended up selling both of those and the little car I had because I had been on social media and seeing other people with these vans. So I decided that I was going to use the money that I had gotten from my motorcycles in the car and go out and try to find a van that I could buy and turn it into something mobile to live in. Okay. So what was the – how did you decide on what van – what did this – I mean, without going into like – too much schematics of it but like there's a you can't just buy a an, an astro right that right i mean you could you could you could but there's a there's a thing that our people are doing right? right certain sizes what they're doing to the insides walk us through some of that stuff sure and instagram has been such a huge source of information for that because it seems like in europe a lot more people are doing it and i don't know if that's because they get some sort of government subsidiary money to where mm-hmm. they can just young kids can go travel for free off a thousand dollars a month or whatever the government provides for them. But a lot of them have school buses or Volkswagen type buses. But I just happened to want something that was just basically big enough for me. And I didn't really want a big school bus cause I wasn't sure about the gas mileage and I didn't want an Astro van because that just seems a little bit too small for my body size. But, the uh, um, Econo conversion van that I bought the 94 Dodge is just about the right size in hindsight if we were going back three months I probably would have bought a sprinter or something okay. something I could maybe stand a little bit more erect in have okay. a little bit more space but overall I'm not unhappy with my decision quite yet and so then what did you what did you have to do to it so the first day I got it I drove it back I bought it from a old couple who had incidentally thought that they were going to retire and travel around in the van but she quickly realized that they hadn't done their planning and their timing right so she ended up wanting to get rid of the van so i bought it from them brought it back and that day 
everything from the captain's and co-captain's chair back, I just pulled right out. I just ripped it clean mm-hmm. out. Um, which put a couple holes in the floor because the bench seat was Rat- oh, yeah, it was yeah. kind of it was kind of ratted out and uh, rusted out underneath there. But I just stripped it all out, and uh, me and a buddy of mine, Chris Paxton, uh, Chris Paxton auctioneer, he's out there in Eudora. Oh yeah, I've heard about that guy. Yeah, he's a great auctioneer. He's also a great welder. He's the Eudora High shop teacher mm-hmm. and a fellow arm wrestler as well. And he helped me fix up all the holes, and then started applying wood and trying to figure out the little spaces as I went to build a bed and storage and a small dresser and a little kitchenette area so I can make my rice and keep some of my foods going. So are you, do you currently live in the van? Yeah, I haven't. So before I actually recently just quit my job as well in the pursuit of something different, but I had a free apartment through my job because I was working for a maintenance company mm-hmm. and I probably hadn't stayed in my apartment for about 75 days before I quit because I had the solar in there. I was doing dry runs. I was testing everything out, trying to see, if I could even get conditioned to it, I'm a 238 pound guy. Like, can I sleep in the 84 degree heat every night? Like it's going to get to you. Like, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people assume that van life is an easier life. You're, you're running away from your job. You're running away from your responsibilities and things. And truth be told, it's so much more work than I ever thought to keep my appearance right, to keep my clothes smelling good, to make sure my home is clean every single day, to make sure that when I meet people on the street or talk to people, they understand, they don't think that I'm, not an intellectual person who lives in a van right down by the river down by the river (laughs) you know with meth needles in my ass or something they know for a fact it's like oh he's an articulate guy he's made this decision based on you know ideas and dreams that he has with a focus it's not this listless life that i think everybody imagines so as far as like laundry and food and and all of that stuff so do you like do the whole laundromat thing and do that? Or do you have friends that are like, Hey, just come over for the evening and do your laundry and hang out. And- kind of a mixed bag. I've had one opportunity where I've gotten to use a friend's uh, laundry service, but I've also made a two ga- I have two five gallon buckets okay. that one of them has holes corrugated in the bottom of it. And you, it's a washing system for two five gallon buckets. And then I just use a slack line to throw out and dry it by the wind, you know, old school style. Um, but I've been staying down at, uh, Thomas's at, uh, CrossFit Lawrence, Thatcher's training center. So I've been able to keep my cold stores there for my frozen foods and be able to shower there every now and again. So you just, you just, you park it in the the lot and sleep there. Oh man. And then every now and again, you know, most two or three nights of the week, I go out and stay at the lake and going to use it to travel, but I'm kind of got to pick, (coughs) got to pick a home base spot so I can get some things done. Oh, Tom. Love him. I might have to have him on. Yeah, he's. I an think I think I'm gonna have him on. I, the more I think about what we were talking about off air, I'm gonna have that fucker on. He, he's an interesting cat. That's yeah, for sure. I'm gonna have him on. I want to talk to him, even though we, we had some some shit. I think we need to talk that shit over on, on the air. Sure, and just I, talking. I'd love exactly. to have him on. So Tom, when you're listening to this, Thomas, if you do, I'm gonna have you on. I'm gonna call you. I'm up, Jimmy. Give yeah, me your number. So and I mean, and Thomas is a big part of this story as well. Am I right? I mean, I can't tell Holy you how shit, many. Right? I can't tell you how many friends, people, and different sports have come in and out of my life through his gym, through his enterprise, through him as a being. Well, you're sitting in front of me because of that, right? Exactly. And my friendship with Steve Scott and Ryan Wickham, who opened his own gym and is now working with Thomas again. I mean, some of these people are going to be in my lives forever. It's fucking awesome. Ah, Thomas. Fucking love that guy. Yeah, it's great. So... um, I want to go back a little bit. Well, first off, I want to get a little, I just need to get a little hint. And if you want to talk about it, we'll talk about it. There was on Instagram when you were in Oklahoma, right? A cute girl with a bikini. 
Is yeah, that a yeah, special yeah. lady friend? Yeah, that's my girlfriend, Gina. Okay. Um, we've been off and on for about five years, but we've been really buckling down together on our teamwork and our communication okay. and skills like that. So what does she think of the van life? She's really interested in it. You know, um, I had more time to mentally prepare for things, and it's it's different when it's me. Mm-hmm. You know, I built the van. I've been investing my energy and my money into this. I quit my job. She's about to finish her dental hygienist schooling. So she's got... Our goals were kind of shifting in different ways, but they're starting to form back together through a lot of deep communication and conversation. But she's really interested. She loves to travel. And we stayed out at the lake last night. It was amazing. I mean, it's really been so freeing. It's crazy. You guys got to get rid of your bills. You got to get it. You got to minimize the things in your life. You can't underestimate the amount of stress that come with the things you're carrying around. Yeah. Um, I just have to say, if we had cameras, Jimmy is a big, ugly some bitch. I wish we didn't and, have a camera in here. We and for him, it's just kind of out of hand. Jesus Christ, he's a monster. I and his girlfriend it. is cute as can be. So you are. Yeah, and, that's and, pretty cool, man. Truth, Not that you're you're a beautiful man. I'm just fucking with you. I you know? appreciate it, my man. Thank you very much. I appreciate you calling me out on that. And truth be told, she's jacked as well. I mean, yeah, she, she is. We went Holy down there. And she managed to crank out about 600 push-ups on that trip. Fuck, she's, she's doing. All, yeah, she's got about a 900-pound total for powerlifting. So. No shit. You know, she's got a mid 300s, upper 300s bench. She's got an almost 200 pound bench and wow. she's pulling and squatting off. She, yeah, she trains out of Strength Guild in Topeka. Shout out to Strength, Strength Guild, Guild and okay. uh, Phil Stevens out there and the crew that they got. But she's out there grinding, man. I'm telling you, her motivation is, is killer. That's fucking awesome, yeah. man. That's yeah, I cool. mean, just like you were talking about with Jill, it's like sometimes it's easy to do this on your own, but when you're super dedicated, it's a, it's a, it's, it can be a really lonely. Yeah. lifestyle when um there's a really good article out there if you google it, it's called the cost the cost of getting lean and basically it says if you're in like the 28 to 30 percent body fat range you're going to be eating out several nights a week you're really into your social interactions you're doing you know you're drinking alcohol three to four nights a week and as you start to slide down that scale to you know bodybuilding four percent or less you get to see the cost of getting lean is like really alienating from your friends Mm -hmm. because you don't get to go out and eat everything that everybody gets to eat. You cannot go out and drink three nights a week. I have to go to the gym four nights a week and I have to be in bed by eight 39 o'clock. Right. It's crazy. People think the cost of getting lean, it's super selfish, Mm -hmm. but it's also very rewarding too. And I think when you have somebody else, like you were mentioning Jill and to keep each other accountable, accountability, amazing in it. it, It's, it's a, it's a game changer because you really start to push each other. And that's like, all right, who's going to get more clean. Who's going to get more heavier in the weights. Who's going to do it writer? Well, I fucked up my shoulder rider, 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 rider better. I fucked up my shoulder a couple weeks ago, um, with the close grip bench. And then I, I was like, the next day I was like, man, this is weird. And then I was like, I'll be fine. And I pushed it some more and it just hasn't, it, I knew that I fucked something up, but because she gets up every morning and she's going to get up and I get up every morning too. Like it, I, she keeps me accountable, even though I'm going to get up. Sure. Just knowing that she's going to get up, I'm going to figure out something to do. Right. Yeah, hit the legs, do something else. Yeah. Right? Something else until I can figure out what the fuck to do with the shoulder. So that accountability <laughs> is uh, a big deal, man. Having somebody therefore i mean we we're in the very end we are only accountable to ourselves sure right and we do the work but having a partner down there saying don't be such a fucking 
weak ass yeah. and lift that, pick that thing up, you and, know? And even, you know, and that's a fact of the matter is too, even big, strong guys like us have mental health issues and we got mm. days where we don't want to get up and look in the mirror and yep. we're not happy with what we see and blah, blah, blah. And sometimes you need somebody to look you straight in the eye and be like, hey, motherfucker. Right. Better tune it up. Like, you got some shit to do. Yes, I'm, str- I'm lucky for me that my girl's one of those that'll yeah. look me straight in the face and tell me to, you know. Quit feeling s- sorry for yourself, suck right? Suck that shit up and get yep. out there and grind it because somebody else is going to, you know. That's awesome. I'm really happy that, you know, that you guys are figuring it out, like coming back and thinking about communication. Cause, cause in the very end, right. I talk about this with a lot of couples and I'm not your couples therapist, but, um, is that it is about communication. It's not about being right. It's about saying we have different perceptions of this. Can we let it go Heck yeah. and come together? Or I just think of it differently, but I love you and let's figure it out. Yeah. You know I mean? That's the, that's kind of the light way of saying it, but that, sure. I mean, 98% of the time you're, you're not going to come with up with an answer yeah. for the problem. And, and I mean, I think you've literally just hit the nail on the head. The way I've been approaching it myself is a lot of times in our relationship when things weren't right or things weren't going wrong, I was always looking for the answer. I was like, well, tell me why, or tell me what I did or tell me what I, and I never really needed the answer. I needed the awareness. I needed the, why is this happening? Why am I allowing myself to behave this way? Or why am I allowing these things to get to me? Or why is social media affecting my relationship outside of whatever? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that is looking for more of the awareness and not the answer. Um, oh, God, I'm probably going to get myself in trouble by saying this, but I guess I only have one listener. But, you know, as pretty alpha males that we are, and, and when I when I um, uh, meet with other males for for therapy that are having relationship issues, we talk about how the females we attract, right, are attracted to that alphaness, right? The problem solving, the muscles, the sure. the, the, the strong it. thing like that, right? That's why they're they're attracted to us. And then they land us, right? And then we're like, look, wow, sweet. And then they want to hear about our emotions. Right. And they don't nobody ever tells us that we're supposed to talk about emotions. Sure. Right? That we're supposed to um, fuck the guy up that's looking at her, or what you know, all that, all that macho bullshit, sure. right? That, but they love it, right? Until you're dating them and you're you're they're you're coupling, right? Then they want to know how you feel and how you feel about something, or they don't want you to fix their problem, right? Which you used to do when you were trying to win her over. Now she just wants you to listen to her problem, right? Right, and that's the key of of any relationship for um, the more alpha style. Like I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't understand beta males too much, but that's just, that's not a judgment. I just, I think there's males that out there that get it right. differently than I do. I had to relearn as a, as a male, how to, how to talk about my emotions with my girl. Yeah. I think that, I mean, um, we're so part of course right now, like in our thinking together, it's crazy. And I wish I had learned this earlier in life and I'm only going to be 35 this year, which mm-hmm. is still a young cat. But a lot of what you're saying resonates hard with me in this moment, in this period of my life, because I'm just getting to a point as a man who's been through, you know, things in my past and losing my father young and not growing up with a stable father figure that I wish somebody would have told me it's okay to discuss my emotions in a calm, you know, a calm manner instead of using that agitation, that anger that grows within me to enforce my will or my point across. Cause the communication is so key. It's ridiculous to find that safe space with you and the ones you love to be able to well, get it out there. I had a, I had a dad and still, he's still alive, but I did, that wasn't necessarily modeled 
for me either, right? And I don't know if it was Fair. modeled for him. Um, Fair. And I would argue, I wonder if there's a correlation of 34, 35 years of age, because about 11, 12 years ago is when I really figured it out. And I'd already been married, married, separated, and back together at that time when we were separated. That's when I realized, right? Like, oh, I got to stop trying to fix her fucking problems, listen to her, and share what's wrong with me. Right. And be vulnerable. Yeah. About what the fuck that I'm scared about in life and all that shit. Is that the quintessential midlife crisis that the emotional midlife crisis of a 35 year old man where we finally come to the point of realizing we've been fostering the the hard masculinity that's kept us from. Probably so. The true path of the masculinity of being able to discuss these things and, you know, doing better for your son than you did for what was brought to you kind of thing. Right. Yeah, I agree 100%. I think it's, I think, you know, I think about um, the midlife crisis is this idea of loss of self or loss of who we are. And, and, and I think, you know, I think fellas tend to want to want to put that in money or into things, things, right. As opposed to um, how do I, how do I look within myself and figure out what do I need to do to be different, right? Right. And so I think we get this labeled of these guys get these labels of midlife crisis, but I think there is some level of like, we've been doing this thing one way and that only got us to one point and now we've got to pivot. Yeah. And we can either pivot to a bunch of shit. We don't need like a Ferrari and, and get more bills and more shit, or we can pivot and and go on a spiritual journey and have uh, meaningful relationships is, is my, is my thought process in that. Yeah. And I think that, I've spent a lot of my time, even just my appearance and the way I address people pushes me away from having the communication skills that I desire to have to make more friendships and to be able to just go up to strangers and, mm-hmm. you know, begin talking with them on topics that I have nothing that I know nothing about, which is something that I'm, which is easy to do. Mm-hmm. Talk about the things that I know weightlifting and right. doing this kind of tattoos and these kinds of things. It's like, I need to get out and it's part of that life experience is like yeah. being able to talk to people and I've never quite got it, but I'm trying to understand conversation more as an adult. What's interesting that you, that you said about tattoos and, and, and appearance wise, cause you and I, are, I mean, similar in appearance. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I need a set of glasses, a set of glasses. And, and I think and we're, can, we got, we got cheap Halloween costumes here. Like you beat me and I'm you. Like, <laughs> um, almost identical brothers at that point. Um, we put on our, these, I mean, for me anyways, I'll be vulnerable on the, on the show a little bit because that's what I preach is for a long time. I put these tattoos on as a wall, right? It was part of the, the scheme, the, oh, brother, the narrative. I'm still building that wall for some right, reason, that narrative, but it's going to shift for you. You're going to put them on there and it'll be a different, if you can shift it to, to not being that narrative that I want to be the big tough fucking guy that nobody messes with. Right. Right. Cause that was the narrative that I put in sure. when I first started getting sleeved and tattooed is that oh, I'm going to get sleeves and I want to look like a badass. And th-, you know I mean? And you do. Young... Fair, hey, be fair. <laughs> I know. But then that also plays against us. Oh, absolutely. Right. We're not, we, we, we come across as not approachable. They're mean, they're biker, they're prison, all that stuff, which is, which is bullshit. Absolutely. And we have to accept the fact that we changed our bodies 
Yeah, I brought and, it on myself. I yeah, mean, you know. there's some level of that. And, you know, stigma is going down now. And sure. It's less. Yeah, but, absolutely. But it's an interesting it's an interesting thing because I don't know. I'm sure there's a there's a. I haven't done a study and on God, this. And, and heaven forbid if you're tattooed and muscular as well, above okay. 220 pounds, you have no chance of not being labeled a former inmate, a former member of some other thing. It's crazy. You just can't be a big white guy with tattoos, and people don't assume you've come from the penal system of some degree. Well, what's even fucking crazier, Jimmy, is I didn't get a lot of that in my professional career, but I got a lot of, you need, you, you're, you're really abrasive. You're really, you really need to tone down who you are when you're, when you're supervising people. And I'm like, what the, what the fuck are you talking about? Right? Like, sure. I treat people with honor and respect. Yeah. If they're messing up, we're going to talk about it, but we're not, I'm not candy coating anything, but I'm not being an asshole either. But because the way I look, sure. they were intimidated, yeah. right? Air quotes that because of the way I look, if, if I was um, clean shaven, no tattoos, da da da, da and it, indirect. Yeah. Passive. Passive. Beta maybe. Yeah. They that wouldn't have ever come across. But because of the way I look, it, it was always he's a he's aggressive or assertive or whatever. So it's 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 sure. a, an interesting and that was an older generation that supervised me, so they that but was I've, different. I've thought so. that stigma a lot myself. And I think that the way we break it down is being articulate and mm -hmm. being able to talk them through those things because it really has, you know, half the tattoos I got, I can tell you were simply just random acts of indecision and, I, you know, just random. It's like, oh, I've got 160 bucks. It's like, I got time. It's like, let's go get that done. Yeah. I, a lot of impulse decisions in that. Somebody asked me, I don't know when it fucking was, a day or two ago, we were talking about tattoos and I said some of them on my body mean something. Some of them just fill space. Yeah. And people, ah, man, people really want all of my tattoos. Some people, I should say, want all of my tattoos to mean something and tell a story. Right. And the story is, I got fucking tattooed. Right. Like, there's some that do, but the whole thing doesn't tell yeah. a narrative other than the narrative that I want to look a certain way. Right. And at this point, with the amount of coverage you got, it's hard to go back and detail every story and every little situation where you got one it's like yeah i don't actually know all the artists and where i got them all i just like i don't look in the mirror and see them either so it yeah. doesn't it's weird i'll sometimes pass a mirror and remember oh i've got my ta back tattooed <laughs> i <Yeah>. forget <laughs> i tell people all the time if they're yeah. gonna get their first tattoo it's like well get it on your back like if it really upsets you yeah. that bad it's like the best place you don't have to see it you all don't the time. have to see it all the time just yeah. give one them little shoulder pieces you'll yeah. be fine exactly um when did you first pick up a weight? So my whole journey started when I was, I, my family, my aunt always had like the plastic covered cement weights. Oh yeah. I love those fucking The, the red ones. Yeah. Like maroon. Yep. And they smelled interesting. Yeah. And they got like they got condensation. They got a set of those, man. Oh man. I'll have to pull that picture out. And they have the bar that was probably, I don't even know. You could. Not even a standard bar, you right? You could hook grip it twice. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So true. And so we had one of those that I'd always poke around with, but the summer of my freshman year, they'd open up the weight room for summer weights and I rode my 10 speed up there and the high school football coach, uh, the JV football coach, I didn't play football. He told me that leg press was everything. Get on the leg press and hit the leg press until you couldn't hit the leg press no more. So that summer I went on a full blown mission to try to leg press my ass off. 
which at the time I'm sure it was just a plate or two and it seemed like hella work to me, but right. Um, in retrospect, I probably wasn't, I mean, I graduated and I think my bench was only like 185 pounds. It was just super sad. I graduated at 152 pounds. Holy shit. So I was, I was really, I wasn't, I was very athletic and I could run and do body weight things for days. But as far as my strength, I didn't get my body until I became an adult for sure. Wow. Yeah. So it's, I've had a, about a 22 year run where I've been lucky enough to where I haven't had any super serious injuries. And I think that's helped me a lot too, has been being safe and wading through the injury prone people, you know, yeah. it's like people come and go off injuries. I've been trying to stay consistent without it. So after your, after high school, what did you do? Um, a week after high school, I joined the Navy. I was getting into a lot of trouble and I got suspended a bunch my senior year. And I ended up actually getting into a huge fight at this pizza hut that I worked at with a delivery driver right before I left. And where was that in Leavenworth, Kansas? Okay. And I thought for sure that I was going to get tossed in some kind of juvenile jail because I'd already been in trouble, but I was lucky enough. I got to leave for the Navy uh, a week after I graduated high school. And that really did. I mean, it took care of a lot of issues I had that I, I remember getting there and you get off the bus and there's hundreds of you there. You're just showing up and we have a stack of paperwork and they're screaming at you and telling you to throw your paperwork on the ground. And you're kind of just like lightly tossing it there <laughs> in, in the space to make sure it all stays bundled together. And they didn't give a shit. They wanted you to like throw it in the air. Like it was the end of the school year. Right. And it was just, it really did instill this weird, you know, it really changed a lot for me. I grew up so much within the first like week of being there. It was crazy missing home and realizing that my life had really changed. And, the shit wow. was real, real, you know. It's like shit. you always like, oh, I want to be in the military, and you're playing paintball with your buddies after nine eleven because that's yeah. what you're doing. You're out there, you know, wishing your commandos and shit, and then the next thing you know, you're in boot camp, and you're like, man, this is tough business, man. So you joined after nine eleven? Yeah, I joined yeah. After, uh, two years after nine eleven, and uh, it was tough business, man. It really yeah. was. Like, it, but let's be honest, like the Navy boot camp was super soft, my man. It was right. unbelievable. Some of these guys out there, they couldn't. You know, it's crazy in boot camp. They kick your ass all the time with push-ups and other mm -hmm. physical exercises. And you really only got to wait 20 or 30 push-ups in. If you could do 20 or 30 unbroken push-ups, there's some dork. They down can't the, do 10. 15 people <laughs> down from you that is just on his knees whimpering. Mm -hmm. And they are on him like a shark. Yeah. So for me, it was, I hid for a while. I hid for probably the first five or six weeks until someone finally learned my name. And then uh, they were all over my ass after that, man. They, they they called me out and kicked my ass all the time if they heard me talking or mm -hmm. talking. I've always been a shit talker and been loud. and like mm -hmm. to, I love to make people laugh if I can. And in boot camp, I would get my ass called out a lot, and I got way more ass whipping than I thought. Just <laughs> So what would you do in the Navy? What was your job in the Navy? My official title was an operations specialist, and what that means is I sat in a really cold air-conditioned radar room and, watched the radar screen go around and we plotted the ship's movement and did other things with the tactical picture. We used all the information that we were getting from the aft lookouts and the bridge and the communication centers to basically take care of the tactical picture. But it was, again, it was, I, when I, I originally wanted to join the Marine Corps mm -hmm. and when I contacted the Marine Corps recruiter, um, he wasn't really honest with me and that made me jump into the my Navy mm -hmm. recruiter's arms and finally decide to go there. And in retrospect, it was almost too soft for me, man, believe it or not. Right. I when, believe that for you. After I left boot camp and I went out to the fleet, a lot of these, they were just a lot of regular people. And I just thought everybody was going to be, you know, even through high school, I was so naive. I didn't even think any of my teachers smoked. Uh, I, th I thought my teachers, of all people, the educators. Right. 
The smart people. They're telling you not to do it. But yet of they're course. out there smoking I, away. I can't remember the first time I drove behind the high school and seen a little group of my favorite teachers out there. And I'm like, what are they? Yeah. And I'm not trying to drop names, but I'm like, what the hell is going on? Right. And the same thing happened when I joined the military. I thought it was going to be this wild. Don't get me wrong. These are some badass dudes. I'd always serve with them again. I'd sign that check metaphorically mm. to put down my life and whatnot. I would do it again. But some of these guys, man, they're just regular people trying to survive with a military job. They're not. You right. Know, just like they would a, not a factory job down, exactly. down not, the street, they're right? Tillmans. They're not out there grinding every day, yeah. getting their exercise in, waiting to fight the American. They're just regular guys, man. I had mm. to put that into perspective that my drive and determination for my body wasn't what everybody else was doing in the military either. It was Even then, I was a black sheep among other people. Cause so did you lift a lot while you were in the military? I've never stopped, my man. Okay. There was only one time in my life where I had to take a slight break. I had a very slight neck injury. Um, I was getting ready for Kansas Strongest Man, and I ended up doing the Kansas Strongest Man and had a slight neck injury. But other than that, my consistency has always been solid. We'd pull into ports. And everybody's ready to get off on the Liberty boat and get out there and shop and do things. And I had to hit the gym first. Mm -hmm. I, had my, I had to make my Liberty buddy wait so I could hit that gym before we went out. Because I've mm -hmm. always just wanted to, I don't mind playing, but I want to earn it first. So was on the, were there like gym, uh, places to do fitness on the boat? Yeah. Um, the first ship that I went to had a really big gym and it was packed full of some real hard ass dudes. Some mm -hmm. of these chiefs had been in there grinding for 20 years already. Some of the biggest, most muscular men I've seen, you know, outside of regular commercial gyms too. Um, the second ship that I went on had a really small gym. It was a one room. It was, I don't know, the quarter of the size of your office. I don't know what the square footage we're in is, but yeah. maybe 200 square feet. Right. Yeah. And the third one I went to, they had it set up in a, a helicopter hangar bay. So the whole bay was, you know, they had the Smith machine and the dumbbells. and But even then, sometimes, you know, you're working out on a boat. You know, the ships are rocking, the sea's going sometimes. Oh, yeah. Sometimes you'd be doing 100-pound dumbbells, and the your eccentric would feel like 1,000 pounds because it dips. Oh, right. And then right as you go back up, you would push, and those 100-pound dumbbells feel like 60s. It's <laughs> sometimes just, you would have to, like, push and go with the undulation That's of the waves. That's fucking crazy. But I, always, I was always lucky enough, and whenever we stopped, we always had – there were Air Force bases around, and some of those Air Force bases had some of the most amazing gyms I'd ever been to. Some of the biggest dudes, too. They were so big. Yeah, those man. Air Force guys that don't got to, they go to the chow hall every day, and there's some jack dudes out there, man. Yeah, man. Impressive. Fuck. Yeah. So y you spend, what, four years? I spent five years in. Five years in. And then right at the tail end of my fifth year, I was down in Jacksonville, Florida, and I'd got word that there was a group of strongmen that were training in Tampa, okay. which is about four and a half hours away from Jacksonville. So I hit him up, and the guy's name was Tom Mitchell. He was a U.S. Masters champion. And this guy was he was a big old – I mean, this guy, I don't even know. Maybe in his 50s when I first met him, 320 pounds, six foot two. Dude was pretty yoked. Mm -hmm. But I would drive four and a half hours basically one way every Saturday to go down there and train for four or five hours, and then I would book it back to make sure I'd you know, get my rest up for Sunday so I could make it back to work at the ship on Monday. And I did that the last, like, six months I got out, and I knew – right before I got out that strongman was going to be the start to my adult sports career. Interesting. Strong. I never knew that about you. Like that you went from that to, to strongman. Yeah. Right to strongman first. And um, did you know about, so when you were on your ships and doing all, and spend time, did you pay attention to strongman or did you just kind of get up and be like, Oh, strongman, I'll try that. Exactly. I, I've always felt like I was better at moving things than I was weights you know, it's like grab the wheelbarrow or drag that rock over uh, here kind yeah. of thing. It's like, ah, oh, yeah, I can do that, you know. Um, 
you know, something like deadlift, a static strength thing. I've barely ever pulled 605 from the ground before, which isn't braggable in any social, I mean, really, yeah. like strength social circle. Right. Um, so static strength's always, but I can lift a 330-pound rock. I don't know. So right. it just seemed I was leaving the Navy at about 240 pounds. I wanted to go try some of the training after the first time, flipping some tires and doing some stones under the tutelage of, like I said, Tom Mitchell and a young Elliot Hulse was there from Yo Elliot. Oh, wow. Um, he was just uh, getting into his lightweight professional career, and they really took me under their wing and showed me a lot of things. Uh, John Nakovich was there. He's a two-time uh, national champion, and Tom Roman, who is a huge credit to the Florida Strongman community. He still holds uh, Florida Strongest Man as a huge sponsor. He's held a, he had a training dungeon in the bottom office of his law firm. It's a big oh, law shit. firm down there. And he was so into it. He let people put stones down there and come in and do all this stuff. And so they got a good community down there and they really fostered my, my, my beginning in that. Right on. Yeah, I did that. I trained with that crew for maybe two months. And then I moved up to Gainesville, Florida with a guy named Matt Delancey. He is the head Olympic lifting, uh, strength coach for the Florida Gators. This guy does all the Olympic lifting programming for the Gators, like the volleyball, the track. Wow. He's one of the head guys in there, like teaching them all the business. This dude's a, I mean, this dude's a stud. And we went over to his house, and he gets a national championship ring every time the Gators win. And he's a part of that coaching staff for right. the volleyball, the girls' uh, softball. And the guy had 15 Holy shit. of these giant nugget yeah. size championship rings they just give him sec champion and the gators are winning everything all yep, the time yep and he's just i mean he was a wealth of knowledge and he had a badass training space in his house and he opened up his house to me and i met uh future america's best deadlifter vince urbank there he pulled 903 hook wow. grip yeah double overhand he's a six foot uh six 300 pound savage of a man yeah i met ryan Lockie there who's an olympic swimming champion yeah. he's a good friend of matt he would come over i can't believe the first time i met him as well it's a short story i went over there and trained we were flipping tires and he shows up in this red sports car that i don't even know the name i can't think of the name it was some kind of Italian sports right. car because Ryan Lockie's real rich and flashy. Mm -hmm. He gets out, takes his shirt off. We start flipping tires, and I had no idea who he is, but he's got the Olympic rings tattooed on his shoulder. And I kept thinking to myself, what an asshole. Like, who gets the Olympic? I was like, this guy's probably never even been to the fucking Olympics. <laughs> and he drives away in his, you know, half a million dollar sports car or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. You know, zoom, zoom, drives yeah. away. And I'm like, Matt, who is that guy? He's like, you don't know who Ryan Lockie is. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, he's like, bro, you better go check out some YouTube. Like, that's the second best swimmer in the world. Like, behind Michael Phelps, that dude's a fish in the water, and he's a huge fan of strongman training. Like, a lot that's of his programming cool. stuff is a lot in, you know, high rep tire flips and all kinds of sled drags and pulls for conditioning. And he thinks that helps him in the pool. So strongman has a lot of uses in the, yeah, in the circle yeah. there. Um, so how long did you do strongman stuff and? So I did that for probably a better part of three years. And then I got into Olympic weightlifting where mm -hmm. I met Joe Nelson. He's a USAW level four coach. And he took me up to the uh, Olympic lifting camp in Gettysburg. And I did that for about a year and a half as well. I moved out to Colorado to chase a girl, which was just silly. Yeah, it changes everything, doesn't it? Yeah, it did. It didn't change my, my training, though. Mm -hmm. It just changed basically where I lived and my life situation but I went out there and grinded real hard for a while. And then I ended up moving back to Kansas and I've just been here ever since. Okay. So when you moved back to Kansas, what about 2010? It was probably a 12, 2012. Yeah. So right when you moved back is you, did you just basically, pop over to CrossFit? Basically. CrossFit? 
Yeah, um, I was training at Olympic Iron over there across from Haskell Indian Nation University. Oh, yeah, I don't yeah. Think there. those guys are still there. Yeah, Olympic Iron is still there. It's still yeah. the home of the hardcore Lawrence. Is yeah, the guy amazing. that um, created Zach, the Mars Bar. Yeah, Zach, Zach Mars I, created I, the I, Mars Bar. Yeah. Shout out to Zach Mars and the Mars Bar. Those guys yep. are great over there. Yeah, they're super cool. Um, or he's super cool. I don't know any other guys. I've met, I've met him. So Right, and he's yeah. got some other names over there with him now. I think uh, Keith Williams, I don't know if you've heard of him. He's mm-hmm. an IFBB pro bodybuilder, mm-hmm. but he's a really jacked, but he's up there as well, but. I was training over at Olympic Iron, and somebody had mentioned that CrossFit had opened right there. Mm-hmm. You had to, like, cross a little creek, yep. that creek there. Yep. So we jumped across <laughs> the creek and went over there, and this is maybe two months after Thomas had just opened CrossFit. And we walked in, and he still had a crew cut. There was no graffiti on the walls. Uh, right. They had dumbbells up to, like, 50, mm-hmm. maybe a couple scattered barbells. And I, we walked in, and I thought, like, my impression of CrossFit from what I'd heard from what are these hardcore big badasses? And when I walked, I wasn't really impressed. And Thomas will tell you the same story too. I like walked in. I was like, what are, what are you guys doing around here? I, you know, I had just squatted 600 pounds. I thought I was a hard ass. Yeah. So basically I was like, Hey, I'm going to come back in a couple months when y'all get your shit right. And <laughs> I just left. Like I literally just walked out and Thomas was kind of standing there like, what the fuck? Oh, I could just imagine what he was thinking too. So I left. And then about three or four months uh, later, I went back and, Thomas had had that he had already got a half sleeve and his hair was growing out and there was graffiti all over the walls and everybody was lifting like crazy. Mm-hmm. So many people had jumped on his bandwagon mm-hmm. and were so faithful to him. They were just showing up day in and day out. Mm-hmm. And that really drew me into the the thing as well. You know, Thomas mm-hmm. has got that kind of charisma, culture, personality, yeah. charisma, you know. Yep. So I was like, man, I really need to be here and, you know, jump in with this and see what's going on here. And that's kind of where it all started. Yeah, and then, then we met shortly after that. Shortly I after yeah. that, I, Steve was there, sure. Yeah, I still have a video on my phone of us doing some weird workout where we had these um, barbells hanging from chains. Sure. And we are pushing them up in the, I don't know what the, I just showed up one Sunday to, to fucking work out and you guys are doing this. And I'm like, all right, I'll jump in on whatever the fuck you guys are doing. Steve and I were always trying to cook up something to get in there and get after um, yeah. But our big principle out there was we always wanted, we never wanted to run the classes and not jump in sometimes. We always felt weird like trying to run the classes from the outside. So we were right. always trying to jump in the mornings and try to get in with them because sometimes that, well, I do believe that the energy's in the air in the morning. Sometimes it's hard to get that motor running. Oh, fuck yeah, yeah. Sometimes you need a, a six scrambled eggs and some bacon and a couple hours and some coffee under your belt before the motor's running. You can't just light yep. it up every 6 a.m., you know? Yep. I remember um, when you guys started coaching. You would come and then started coaching that, and that, that got a lot of energy flowing for that crew. Yeah, and I think mm-hmm. a lot of that has to, I think that a lot of has to do with Steve. Yeah. I'm not a, I don't even like personal training so much. Yeah. Because if you ain't motivated, I'm not even trying to waste time with yeah. you. I got my own. I'm so motivated to do this. Yeah. I don't got time to drag your ass along. I want you yeah. to show up and want it and want yeah. it bad. And Steve is such a, I mean, that oh, guy sweet is. Sweet guy. The personality on that guy, like he's got personality for days. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you follow him on Instagram. Mm-hmm. You'll have it, to, I'll have to. His, his, his little daughter and his son. I mean, his son looks just like him. Aww. It's insane. Still dude. in St. Louis? Yeah, they're right outside of St. Louis. Yep. He's still working as a correctional officer. But without that guy's help and guidance through those, I would have never been able to run those classes by myself. Yeah. That guy just brought a different level of excitement for me and energy and laughter that I didn't have. And he was able to break down the hard coaching strictness that I like to bring with his funny ways. And mm-hmm. he helped teach me a lot. Steve taught me a lot. I still talk to him once or twice a week. I mean, That's great awesome. guy. So – then I then we, things moved there, and I bounced um, from the 12th Street location. 
Yeah, from the 12th Street location yeah. when there was kind of a hiccup. Right. And uh, I kind of just was like, I'm just going to go do my own thing. Right. I remember you got you bought all the the garage waves. Yeah. Because I let Thomas and them use a bunch of my shit yeah, for the longest that. time. Yeah. And then I just decided I'm going to do my own stuff and built a bigger gym at home. Um, what did you do? I, 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 that's where I lost track of you. And Yeah. Right about then, I was the... I had actually... I had a motorcycle that I had and I was out driving off of 17th and Harper. There's a real sharp S curve there. And I was coming through that S curve driving, riding the bike way too fast. And two kids were pulling up to the stop sign there on their regular 10 speed bikes and they hit their brakes. And I just caught them out of the corner of the eye and I ended up laying my bike down right there in the intersection. Ended up hurting my hip real pretty good. It was really sore and the bike was unrideable. So I ended up getting the bike back home. And that night, I was talking, giving myself self-talk, and I was saying, well, if I can't go lift weights because I can't squat, maybe I can get out and jog a little bit. Maybe I can get out and run a little mm-hmm. bit. So I went out, and, of course, the first you know, night was just horrible at 330 pounds. It was just, yeah. I mean, just dragging a fat. I mean, it was insane. It hurt my knees, hurt my ankles. I only made it a couple blocks. I might have cried halfway there and probably walked my ass back. And uh, I really decided to, like, make a change and uh i started to go over to genesis on sixth street and i would do 100 flights on the stairmaster every morning no matter what and then i started working at pizza shuttle and i was delivering pizzas all day so i'd eat a really healthy diet hit my 100 stairs in the 100 flights of stairs in the morning work for pizza shuttle all day delivering being active and then i'd go hit the gym afterwards for accessories and stuff and i slowly started to cut the weight off because i ballooned up to like 330 oh shit i mean there was a point there for probably like three years where i didn't see my dick without a mirror <laughs> i mean you just can't i mean you can't, yeah, you can't. It, it breaks you down yeah man. it's like yeah, yeah i'm big and strong but i mean come on God, guys i don't remember like, you being maybe oh, oh i've got some photos out there it's embarrassing man wow. it's 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 one of those things where i put them up next to each other and i can't even imagine doing that to my body now because i'm still yeah. facing some of the physical repercussions i still have some extra fat and some skin around yeah. my midsection that's really hard to tighten up and get rid of and things i really would have uh self-consciously thought about before i decided to really yeah eat chicken breast for breakfast and eat steak and eggs for breakfast every morning for six months on end yeah but uh, I started to cut the weight down, and I met a guy that said, hey, if you get around to 265, I'll find you an MMA fight if you want to be an MMA fighter. I said, well, shit, let me give it, you know, why not? <laughs> of course you said why yes not? to that. Let's give right? it a try. So I had a fight at 265, and then he was like, well, if you get down to 235, go down to 235. So I hit 235. Then I had a couple catch weight fights at around 225. And then um, – had you ever fought before? Like, do you? I mean, I had trained some, and I had been in a lot of physical altercations. I've been mm. doing. I had been doing bar security for about eight or nine years up until that point. Yeah. So I'd been in a fair share of physical altercations. Mm-hmm. It's nothing I'm afraid of, and I, you know, it's not something to brag about. But I grew up in a violent house, and mm. you know, doing seeing violent things, and I think right. it's, I, I'm that guy that if I need to get there, I can do the violent thing as well. Right. And that appealed to me at the time of my life. I really needed that out that expression of anger and be able to train every day and to fight and do the sparring every day and there's something about that punch drunk feeling after you get mm-hmm. done with a hard sparring that i yep. enjoyed for a while it was getting all of those that inner anger out that i had through my mid-20s i really feel like it so i ended up i had uh, nine fights total i lost the last four the tail end of the four i ended up cutting down to 205 Ooh. and it seemed like that barrier for me is where i lost a lot of my power going from a heavyweight at 225 where i can move really well and hit hard versus dropping down to 225 or excuse me 205 where i moved even better 
but I've lost all the strength. I was just kind of like of average power for a well, two hundred five. And then you suck all of that energy out of yourself getting to there as well. It was in my yeah. the last fight I had. I fought a guy named Lorenzo uh, Cerna. Shout out to Zoe. He's down in Emporia. Uh, great wrestler. And this guy, like, we exchanged a couple punches, and he took me down and held me down. And I remember just, like, laying on my back, looking up at the lights, the lights that I could see, in between the shadow of this other 205-pound wrestling machine that had had me pinned down. And the only time I would catch reflections of light is when he would move to throw punches down on Mm -hmm. me. So it was weird seeing this dark shadow and the lights coming in and out of it. And I made it to like the last 10 seconds and of the first round, he threw an armbar triangle on me. And right as they, you know, hit the last bell, mm. I tapped out. Ah, oh, shit. And I never recovered from it, man. It really fucks you up. Fucks your head up. It really does. You know, I got knocked out at Sandstone Amphitheater in front of like 8,000 people. Um, we, were the, we were the co-main event of the night. I was fighting a guy named David Hammonds. Um, came out, he threw a leg kick. I backed him up to the cage and I threw a huge left hand and he threw a right hand and his right hand just hit me right before the left hand. Yep. Right on the button, huh? The next thing I remember, I was, I had my arms draped over two guys. They were carrying me down some steps into the back. I had already got out of the cage and I was going into the back and I was like, yo, like what the fuck's going on, man? Like, let me go. Like, when are we about to do this? And they're like, no, bro. It's over. Dude. And this is real. I'm not kidding. This ain't, Uh, they're like, literally bro, you just got knocked out. Like, it's over. And I sat there and cried for probably two hours. I couldn't do anything but sob and cry. I had spent so much time, so much effort, and I was just so dialed in. And I knew in my head I had played the pitcher out a million times. If the guy hits you, it's good. You can take the punches. You're going to make it through. Like, you're a warrior. You're the one. You you do all this self-visualization, self-hype to the fight, and then you lose like that. It was ridiculous. Ridiculous. Devastating, huh? So, I mean, a shout-out to these motherfuckers that go out there and fight on a legit basis and take some hard L's and come back. These these journeyman fighters that people call that get these resurgences, and they end up becoming champions. These guys yep. deserve way more credit than they get because I've been in a lot of sports as an adult, and there's nothing harder than getting your ass whipped in front of your friends and family. Oh, like I bet. That's fucking terrible. It gives, you, I mean, I got, it, gives me, it gives me wild feelings right now, my man. It's, it's tough business. Do you still follow Kalen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's doing real good things out yeah. there. I, you know, I haven't. I've spoken with him indirectly here and there, but I know that he's about to sign some big things. He's waiting for a big fight to come down the pipe. Like he's on the cusp of doing. I saw something, something big. on it because I follow him on Instagram, where he's like, "Big out things Vegas are coming" or something. Yeah, he's. I'm telling you, the guy's just waiting for a phone call. I mean, yeah. there's people out there that have way less exciting professional mm-hmm. careers and have gone farther. Yeah, that guy's like six or seven and one, and all mm-hmm. of his wins are highlights. Like, yeah. He puts in the work. He's put in his time. Yep. He's got his judo black belt, his BJJ black belt. Like mm-hmm. he's a, you know, he went to state twice in high school for wrestling. Like, dude's got his bases covered. He's got a black belt under Master Dwayne Lewis. The guy's not mm-hmm. fucking around. He's gonna be one of those guys from Lawrence that makes it. Did he? Um, did his gym go under during the COVID? I don't. I I don't know. I haven't seen him post much about it. Yeah, the shoot box because he bought shoot box. Yeah, I know that they did the shoot box thing. And then and I haven't seen anything. And I heard. I didn't. I heard a a gym went down during COVID. I wonder if that was that one. It could be, but you know, I don't know if it just closed temporarily. It seems like most people were affected, but it didn't close a lot. It really, it really hurt a lot of people. But I don't know. I, you know, that's hearsay for me. I don't know much about it. Yeah, I sent him a text earlier today just to because I need to see if he's still doing some other work. Yeah, I need some help with. So, anyway, so 
got done with fighting, then what? Yeah, so I, I finished up fighting, and I decided that I was going to get back into strength sports again. But what a change it was. Like, coming from 205 pounds from my former 330 pounds mm-hmm. where I was strong yeah. and everything. And it was really a start from the bottom again to really start lifting weights again and get back into it. But I think I found out within, like, a year or two's time um, after the whole fighting thing take place – I took a couple years. I've just been lifting for a couple years. I realized I don't need to put bars on my back anymore. Compress my spine. It hurts my neck. There's just like I'm not. I'm not chasing those goals anymore. You know. Mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of shifted for me into a a better health, being stronger overall. And then I just happened to fall into arm wrestling from being at Thomas's as well. Yeah. So tell tell me. So funny on my end. Um, not funny. I don't know why I said that. But my brother-in-law is really into arm wrestling. Does he compete? Yeah. What's his name? Um, Mark Eckerberg. So Mark he's, Eckerberg. He's a littler guy. Right. Um, I think he made 155, 165. I don't know what weight classes there sure. are, but he'd probably be in that range, maybe 170. I don't know. Right. I'd have to. Um, but he loves it. And then you had, I had just seen you getting into it. And then all of a sudden he's into it so how did where's he at newton kansas okay Newton. yeah so i don't know he goes he travels around a little bit and does it but so how so just being at back at thomas's gym because we ran into each other at a powerlifting competition a couple years ago yep and then yeah and And i saw you over at the wrestling club wrestling club and and then you were here and there yeah and then did you just go back training over there at Thomas's and then? Um, no, I had been training uh, with Ryan out at his gym and then mm. I've been training at Rock Talk Park because I live close to mm. there. And, you know, truth be told, I'd never won an arm wrestling match before I started arm wrestling in my life. I've just been horrible at it. Right. And I always swear I wouldn't do it just because of the asymmetrical nature of it. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, what if your arm does break? Or if I'm only using my right arm all the time, isn't my right arm going to get way stronger and more developed? So I've always been real weird about how I train my body. I right. hate asymmetrical movements. Right. But um, Thomas brought up the fact that he was, he had bought a table and he was going to hold a tournament over there. So we practiced. Of course a he bit. did. Of course. <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know like he where did. he got the hair. Like, <laughs> the table. But he spent five hundred bucks, bought an official table. Me, Mike Ramos, and my brother went over there and practiced some. And then the Eudora team, the Cycle Arm Sports, the team I'm part of now, mm-hmm. they came into town with their team and they held a round robin tournament. And um, for those that don't know, um, round robin is everybody goes against everybody no matter what your weight is. Mm-hmm. And then you win based on your overall score win loss record no mm-hmm. matter what the weight is. So at the end of the day, I actually finished uh, 18 and 6, which was really good. We had 24 matches when oh, I wow. never arm wrestled before. It was intense, and I was instantaneously hooked. And it's really just been this snowball of arm wrestling through the Eudora guys, and it's really just changed my life. Arm wrestling is king in my book. Like, Really? So of all the things, right? Yeah. You know, I've stood backstage and been warmed up and hyped up by my, my corner man and my, the coach, and then the announcer calls your name and your music hits. And I've had those feelings before, and you walk down the ramp and – you take your shirt off and people cheer for you because you're jacked. And I've had those feelings before and nothing surpasses the feeling, the intimate feeling of locking arms with somebody and like seeing who is like they used to, that's how they used to determine military generals back in the day. Oh shit. And it's like, it is a super masculine fighting. It's just as combat as anything else I've ever tried. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting. And it's, and it, and 
what I know about. I don't know much, right? But I know that, and there's a lot, most of it, how do I say this? Because I don't know. A lot of it's technique. There's a lot of technique. We got some 135-pound guys out there that'll break your arms. Right. It's insane. And arm wrestling is the definition of talent. If you look Mm. up talent, a talent is an innate ability to do something that requires no work. You don't have to go to a gym. You didn't have to go do your ladder drills, do your sprints, Mm -hmm. do your football handling technique drills. There's a lot of things that come into play to being a good football player. Rarely do you just grab a football and you're Herschel Walker. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But in arm wrestling, these prodigy type things happen so much. 135-pound guys that don't touch weights. They're just regular guys that will rip my arms over. It's crazy. And and like arm wrestling, like I said, is truly the day because you don't have to do anything. You can drink your beers, go out there and arm wrestle. You can smoke your cigarettes and go out there and arm wrestle. It's like it is innately a talented sport. That's interesting. So, because I remember when I first arm wrestled my brother-in-law, I'm bigger than him. Sure. He's six foot, but I'm like more muscular. He fucking did this move. And next thing I know, I'm like, I'm like, how the fuck did that just happen? Right. And it's so specialized and specific. I can't tell you how many times in the last two and a half years I've been at it that I've seen big bodied guys like us, muscular guys come out there and you're like, dude, this guy's got big biceps. He's got big forearms. Like I'm sure it's going to be strong. And you just tilt them right over because it's such a special strength to have. Right. Yeah, arm wrestling strength is super unique. You know, um, the two coaches out there, Bo Olson and Cody Vanderweerd, um, you know Cody from NASA. I mean, the dude's a very powerful. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a very strong guy in his own right. He's got, mm. you know, 360 bench, 500 mm. deadlift, 400-pound squat. And I beat all those numbers. And that guy is a fucking machine mm. on the table. His ability to lock his arm, to keep his shoulder distance to hand, and his computer just runs super fast. He can feel things in your hand and do the technique work, just like Bo can. It's a different level of athlete. There's way more involved in it than, you know, so one people of the, give it credit for. So one of the matches I watched of yours just recently, you were, you were like your arm was bent like this sure. and way over, and the guy just couldn't. And then eventually you just worked him. Sure. And, so, and pound, like, so what's the mental game as well when you're all the way like this, your arm's bent, you know, and you're like, like straight up psycho arm sports. You don't quit. You're going to, if, if you want to take it from me, you're going to have to break it off of me. And that's what it is. There's a, there's a saying in arm wrestling is you can win in arm wrestling without your hand. You cannot win in arm wrestling without your arm. Meaning that a lot of people, when they get their hand taken from them in arm wrestling, mm-hmm. they lose really quickly because they don't even know how to fight without their hand. Everybody's so used to hooking or so used to doing the top row move right. that people don't really fight effectively without their hand. Usually once you take your hand, you're in a losing position, you give up. In my mind, if you watch Todd Hutchings and some of these other really good flop-wristed pressers, as they call them, mm-hmm. there's way more fight that happens once somebody can take your hand. And I know people that can take my hand, but can you take my arm? It's arm wrestling, not just wrist wrestling. Right. Okay. So the principle in that is like, even if you get your hand taken, just keep working it and working it and working it. Because if they slip off, that's their deal, right? Well, they'll slip and they'll bring you back together. And it's basically a mutual thing. If you slip, it's not really somebody's fault. Right. Then they tie together with the strap. But um, like I said, I just think it comes from, you've got to have, you know, I spent, I've gone through, I've been at it two and a half years and I've done my training in six month periods, basically where I didn't train without the strap or I only trained in the hook or I was using my King's move. 
But the last section of training that I've been doing is I spent a lot of time doing wrist curls. Mm. But every time I would do wrist curls on like a Monday, I would go on Wednesday and people would take my hand from me. And I would end up just fighting with my arm all the time. And I would lose the first like several sessions. I was like, oh, I keep giving up or I keep losing. And finally one day I was like, fuck it. The next time somebody pops my hand back, I'm going to push into it and I'm going to start fighting with everything I got. And eventually that turned into a skill that I now have. And, you know, my coach Bo Olson, uh, one of the best pours in the Midwest. I got to give this dude credit where credit is due. This guy has got concrete in his hands and wrists. Mm. I can hit him with everything I've got, including a kitchen sink, and his arm doesn't budge. It's amazing. Like, he's something to be attained for. Mm -hmm. So shout out to Bowles and out there, Psycho Arm Sports. But the first time that I saw him in a super match and kick ass, he had to do it with a with a flopped wrist. And it's like it's just one of those techniques you got to learn. You got to be good everywhere. There's so many different disciplines. The king's move, hooking, top rolling, flop wrist pressing, just a regular pressing. There's there's a lot to the game, you know. And so you're so you're continuing to learn and oh every uh, day. We, so go ahead. No, I was just saying we go out there twice a week and twice a week is a ton, you know most. Teams only practice once a week, but it's all about volume, conditioning, getting in there and using the other computers in there like Cody's who's just – the guy's just so advanced with his handwork and things. Yeah, because I noticed there's like things where you guys would just work each other. Work do, each other. Yeah. And, I, and that's what I love about our team. Everybody's so willing to work with each other. Nobody goes out there and worries. A lot of times you go to practices and people are worried about pinning each other. They just uh, want to win. Uh, and there's so much more to – if you and I have to use each other as a weightlifting apparatus, I can't just – plow you over Mm -hmm. we've got to use resistance together and get in that 80 percent range so we can tax each other effectively and work on our lactic acid thresholds and things like that so my team is super good about the way we get in there and work with people and we have so many i mean i've dude in all reality if i jump back to the beginning of my sports i've been lucky enough as an adult to just work with some of the most talented and elite people from vince urbank and Joe Nelson in my Olympic weightlifting career and some of the people that I met, the coaches that I met through uh, Joe Nelson are some of the most esteemed and respected coaches. Matt Delancey at the University of Florida. Um, I got to train with a guy named Jim Hoskinson. He owns Ironworks Gym right outside of Florida. Uh, excuse me, outside of Jacksonville, Florida. And this guy is a fucking savage, man, let me tell you. He used to be one of those people that would go to your middle school Talk about Jesus, lift heavy things, rip phone books and shit, do that kind of thing. Ah, right. Right? One yep. time he was lifting like a 400-pound log. He missed the lockout. It came down, landed on his legs, and basically folded him backwards. He had to get um, cadaver ACLs, MCLs, meniscus, basically from the hip down. If it attached your legs together and provided structure, Jesus he Christ. got fake shit out of a dead person. This guy went to Westside Barbell after that under the tutelage of Louie. And this guy squatted like 1,200 pounds. Jesus Christ. Multiple times. He is one of the thickest, stiffest humans I've ever met in my life. And if we think about the the strength to flexibility scale as being like an old mm-hmm. school volume meter. Right. Flexibility being on one side, strength being on the other side. You'd really like to be somewhere in the middle. Right. Maybe you're even a little leaning towards strength because you want mm-hmm. flexibility as you get older. But strength now is important. This guy was buried in strength. There was zero flexible about him. You could tap him. He felt like petrified hardwood. Jesus Christ. He moved like he had the Batman suit on. Yeah. He had to turn 90 degrees. If you uh, call his name kind of thing. But I mean, he had a 22 inch neck and he was, I mean, he was incredibly powerful. It was insane. Mm-hmm. So seeing him and the way his wife trained, the way they hold their gym was really cool. And then, like I said, being able to get out with these Eudora guys are just so super 
wildly famous here in the Midwest for their skills in the team has just been a real blessing to my sports, man. So how many matches have you had? I've, we've, I mean, the first year I competed in probably 11 or 12 tournaments, which is way over the team. We don't have a team requirement. You got to come to one practice a week to be on the team. Okay. And the team is kind of ran like, as weird as it is to say, it's kind of like a motorcycle club is we have the team members, you got team acquaintances, and then you got team hangarounds. People that show up to practice here and there, and they come to the tournaments here and there, and sometimes they'll wear their psycho arm sports gear. Mm-hmm. Then you got the team acquaintances. They come to one or two practices a month, and they come to one or two tournaments here and there. And then there's the team members, the core guys, the six or seven of mm-hmm. us that go to every tournament. We travel together. We're wearing the shirts. We're, we're, we're broadcasting the team. We're sporting mm-hmm. our team. Oh, I'm sorry. Where was that going? Uh, how many uh, tournaments, oh, tournaments and things like that? Right. Yeah. So I've had about uh, 10 or 12 tournaments so far. Okay. And we were talking about this offer. The distinction that I wanted to make between some people, arm wrestling is like MMA fighting. You can call yourself a professional whenever. Even if you go 0-25, you can compete as a professional, Okay. which is always so weird. In Olympic weightlifting, you have to earn certain things to become a professional. Even as a coach, as a level three and four coach, you have to have like eight people that go to nationals. And same thing with uh, strongman. You have to win nationals to become a professional. Right. With arm wrestling, you can just call yourself a professional anytime. And some people do, and some people don't because of that rule. You got guys that will arm wrestle for 15, 16 years as an amateur. They're just collecting trophies out there. Mm-hmm. They're not good enough to step up to the next level, mm-hmm. or they're just not ready for that challenge yet. So, what do you? So, it's interesting you said something there that said, okay, they've been doing it for 15, 16 years, they got trophies, and then they aren't able or can't step up to the next level, something like that level. Right. What, so what's the levels if there's not a professional versus amateur, unless you call yourself either one, right. what are the levels in the game? Well, that is really, those are really the only two levels. And a lot of people think that's sort of the problem is there should be some kind of college system for arm wrestling because the, just the regular amateurs to the opens, there's a huge gap there. Mm-hmm. It's crazy how, and you have to be a talented individual to break that gap and do it quickly. But there needs to be something in the middle. Um, you know, there's so many guys. I, I'm not very eloquent at putting it. There should be like an open middle class. Okay. Where And sometimes we've got to force other people. You know, in Strongman, if you place first in an amateur show, you can't compete as an amateur anymore. And sometimes some of these arm wrestlers still do that. They, uh, they're winning tournaments. They're getting the medals that say, hey, you're getting, you've got a second place medal every time you go. Jump right. up to the pros. I know you're going to get your ass kicked. Everybody does. But eventually, mm-hmm. you should be able to make ground. So there is a distinction between amateur, air quotes again, amateur tournaments and pro tournaments, though. Yeah, they're held on the same day and everything. There's it's just the word distinction. Between and it's if you want whether to you you can go pro or amateur. You're the one that signs it up. Exactly. It doesn't matter with wins or losses. Or I think it looks anything. shady as shit if you compete as a pro for a while and then you start jumping down to the amateurs. Right. But in my case, and I think this is the distinction that I've like that I made personally, and I think other people on my team may agree or not with this is that I never called myself a professional arm wrestler until I won a professional arm wrestling tournament. I was the first place victor of a left-handed professional arm wrestling tournament. So technically my left hand is a professional arm wrestling arm. My right arm, I'm still working through the amateurs. I've placed as a second and third, but I haven't won yet. Okay. In my mind, that is the moral decency of being able to call myself a professional. I earned that title. You know, same thing when people call me pipes. I didn't call. I've never called myself that. Right. I went out to my team for eight, nine months and just dedicated and every time. And they started calling me that. 
it's something, especially, and I think that professional title is something you got to earn. It's not something that's given to you. Right. I think a lot of people like to go around and say they're professional this or professional that, especially with fighting, you know. I'm a yeah. professional fighter. It's like, what's your record? It's like, well, I'm 0-3. It's like, okay, so you fought as a professional. There's a distinction in the in the verbiage yeah. you put there. Right. Um, so what's your, what's what's the journey look like from here? You, I mean, you quit your job goal, and right? van life, yeah. right? So, you know, I was... I made some plans to quit my job and the idea is to not necessarily work less, but just live more in general. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I've done everything, not everything I want to do physically, but I've spent 22, 22 years refining my body, getting strong, building this thing, but I haven't done the one-on-one -on -one shit that I really need to do to fulfill myself as a human being. Mm -hmm. And I'm just now starting to get to that where I want to spend more nights outside under the stars instead of in front of the TV I want to have more conversations with my girlfriend that means something instead of every day just being, how's the weather? How'd you do? How was your day? Right. Something deeper daily. I'm going to reach out to my friends and family more because I haven't been, you know, maybe like a month ago. This is a true story. I had a friend of mine that I bounced with down at the bars in Jacksonville. His name is Kevin. Um, great guy. Um, big. I mean, six foot three, 340 pounds natural. Just didn't have to do anything. You could put him on any football team anywhere. Just blessed out of the gills for it. And, uh, I hit him up on Facebook maybe two or three years ago when I was going down there to visit. And he said that he was entering his like second or third round of chemo treatment and that, um, you know, he wasn't feeling so good, but he's hanging in there. He was like, Oh, we'll go. Cause we had this sushi spot. We went to as all you can eat sushi. He's like, Oh, we'll go there. Anytime you come back, not a big deal. You know, maybe like three weeks ago, I was just thinking about him. You know, as time passes, you just, yeah, you don't know what yeah. it is. Mm -hmm. So I get on there and I hit him up. I'm like, hey, big man, hope you're doing okay. Wait five or six hours. And then I'm starting to think like, mm. eh, what's going on? So I get on there and look, sure as shit, he died two weeks after the original message, after he sent me the original message. And I never replied. Oh, it's been kind of eating me up. And it's like, well, why didn't I reply? Mm. Was I too fucking cool for school? Was I really too busy? Was I like not interested in the guy I had chemo? Was I not empathetic because I didn't know what to say and that kind of scared me that I didn't know how to like mm -hmm. empathize with him? Like, dude, I'm sorry you're going through that, but like things are going to get better. You don't want to say the same thing that everybody says. I don't know why I didn't answer, but the, you know, the crux of the story is that like I'm answering every time now. I'm answering every time. If you're going to reach out or if I reach out, whether I get a response back, I don't really care. Man, I love that. That's I got, I got, cool, I got to go to bed knowing what I did because I missed that opportunity. Right, and it drives me crazy, man. I think about it now, and it's it's hard not to get emotional. But I miss that opportunity to just talk to the guy. Who knows? Maybe he just wanted to say, you know, oh, I'm not feeling good. I just, I could have joked with him. I tell jokes all. I could have said something funny, but I just didn't fucking respond. It blows my mind, and it's been, I mean, it's been changing my life in the last month about things. Really? So that was about a month ago? That was about a month ago. Because like I yeah. said, I, I waited four or five hours, hit him up, and he's not there. And it's like, that guy died. Never got to say the last things I wanted to say. Not You know, it's like maybe you don't always get that chance. Yeah. But yeah. I had the fucking chance is the problem. Yeah. So, so <laughs> wait, there's so many things, right? Right. Uh, talk sure. about like this. So you had that experience. Did you quit your job after that experience or were you kind of moving in this direction anyways? And this thing really was kind of a, added to the fuel of living differently. Yeah, it really did. I had already had these plans and I had started building the van and the job that I was working at the time, they asked me to stay a couple weeks longer than I'd wanted to be there anyway, which is good for my money game. And I wanted to help them out. I didn't want to leave my friends at my old job, you know, stuck in the mud. But, um, 
then this happened and it really, you know, it brought back my communi- opening the lines of communication again with my girlfriend again and addressing my mom differently and understanding that like, yeah, I'm a prideful guy. I'm prideful in my yep. shape. My mom's a cigarette smoker. Love her, wow. bless her heart. But she's also the caring kind of mom that'll tell me I need to do something for my health. And then I'll get upset about it. Like, mom, don't you think I know that? Don't you think I understand that? And I've just realized in the last six months, like how nasty and prideful that is of me. That's fucking ego, man. Right it's, there. it's crazy ego. Yeah. And you got to cut that shit out and leave it there because like, no Duh, my mom knows that I'm a 238-pound jacked athletic man, and I know it's best for my health. She's just trying to help. And she just gives a fuck about you. She, she loves you, cares about you. And that's so the best way yeah. she knows how to say it. Yep, exactly. She's just like, I don't really know the science. I just know like you should be healthier, and I love you. And it's right. like, I love you. I'm take over, care of yourself. I love you. Take care of yourself. And I'm over here being a prideful cunt about it because I'm like, yeah. I, I, I've been lifting weights and eating right for 20 years. What yeah. are you doing? Yeah. And it's like this hit me like a brick wall in the last like month because it's a nasty fucking pride thing. It's crazy. Yeah. And, so, let me, and if I can interject, oh, I'm yeah. sorry. One of the biggest things that I think in lately that has changed my life is listening to the audiobook uh, Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Oh, fuck. I've listened to it three times. I've listened to it maybe double that, my yeah. man. And I've got her listening to it. Gives me, I mean, I got goosebumps with you talking about that. Don't because, get me started, my man. So that's, that's fucking crazy. This is such a crazy, I mean, I'm so glad you're sitting across from me right now. Because, you know, in my other world, off off the podcast, I'm a I'm a therapist, and I treat yeah. a lot of um, I have a lot of male clients, and I have I've been creating this curriculum over time for them, right? As we move through different things, and part of the curriculum is the book Atomic Habits, um, which you, if you haven't, I would love it. it. If, if you got a copy or a place where I can get it, if it's is an Amazonable or yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, okay. and. That's part of it, and then um, David Goggins can't hurt me is part of the thing, and the, and so I have them physically buy Atomic Habits because I think it's important to um, look at that physical copy of that book because there's charts and different things like that. Okay, and then I have them buy the Audible version of um, Can't Hurt Me with the, the podcast with the podcast right. thing to to. to to do the challenges, yeah. to, to get that extra sense of the stories that he tells. I'm telling you, man, that book, that book, um, changed my Ooh. life too. In, in, in a, in a, in a, in a way that I was already going, sure. but it just fueled it even more. And just, I mean, it tunnels it down. It's yeah, insane. That you, book is what a fucking savage that motherfucker. I is. mean, Oh my gosh. Like you could sit here and brag about that guy's accomplishments forever. And, like, the fact that he calls himself the hardest man in the world is still a humbling thing for him. It's weird how humble he is. and Well, and the great I, fucking, anyways, whoever's listening, um, uh, spoiler alert, at the very end, he's like, I don't know shit. Don't listen to me. Yeah. I just I just tell the story because this is the story that I, basically, right? Like, you don't yeah. have to listen to me. Just do something. Yeah, do you in the yep. end. But just do it better. Yep. It's crazy, man. And, like... You know, there's a lot to summarize in that book. And like you said, if anybody's listening and they haven't got the book, like it's worth the audiobook is about 13 hours long. There's a podcast in between each chapter where they issue challenges and David goes into in-depth stories and things that he doesn't tell with his uh, ghostwriter. And uh, like I said, I've listened to it several, I mean, more than a handful of times. And every time it just changes the way I think about things, my discipline, uh, family life, learning about some of the things he talked about with his father that you know, resonates with me and 
just everything. What's an interesting theme that I that I'm finding with this podcast and with my because my consulting business that I have is Iron and Soul Consulting, perseverance through strength and vulnerability is the tagline, right? Okay. Like, and I and I sit and listen to these people that come on the podcast, and all of them have perseverance through whatever story that they've told me or it's shared online. Right. And all of it's been through strength and vulnerability, like all of that, whatever you define strength and what, however you define vulnerability. Right. And sitting there listening to you tell your story about, you know, perseverance through all the shit that you've been through. Right. Sure. And then it's strength sports and then learning vulnerability now. Right. Cause that's right. where you really are now is like, Oh, now I'm, yeah, now I'm I, I've, to be I've, built, I've built the tough thing, and yep. everybody that knows me knows I'm a hard ass, and mm-hmm. I drive a hard line, and I'm disciplined and tough. Mm-hmm. I don't need to tell you that anymore. Nope. I need to break down the barrier that I've put up because of that. Right. To where I can communicate with humans and make lasting relationships. It's always something I've really struggled with, and whether that's from my home life or communication habits I picked up as a young adult. It's, well, it's, it was, I mean... Uh, we haven't we haven't gone into your home life journey story, and maybe that should be another time thing. But that was all modeled for you, right? Yeah. We know we know the way we are now that when we don't change it is because of what we learned watching our parents or or the things around us. Sure, and that was what was modeled for you. And then you learn if if you have if you can then become self aware, right? You go, oh, that's not working. Yeah, I want to have love in my life. I want people in my life. If I continue to be this person that keeps shutting people out and da, 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 then I'm not going to have that. I'm going to be a lonely bastard, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the yeah. truth. And I think you, the word you use hits it on the head is the awareness of everything. Mm-hmm. I ask myself, I play a simple game and I don't know if uh, I heard it out of the, you can't hurt me book, but I ask why about everything. Mm-hmm. Why, why, why? And I don't look for the answers. I just look for more questions of mm-hmm. why, why, why it's like, why did Josh invite me to the podcast? Why did we talk about this? And like, if I keep going, I won't ever really find an answer, but I'll find awareness of the situation and why I was brought here and what the purpose is. And it's been helping me in everything through my life, especially in my relationship. Yeah. Understanding how to deal with everything and realizing that it's not all my fault. And, you know, I do control some of the things around me, especially the environment that I can bring in. You know, I'm the kind of guy that if I walk into a room with a shitty attitude, like that room is going to suffer for it. Yeah. (laughs) Fuck yeah, it is. (laughs) You know, we don't want to like We guys like us, we assume that we like to have that power, that control, but really it hampers our ability to connect with other people. You're, 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 you hit it on the head that right there, man, that is, that is the absolute truth. We have, you and I are, are really similar fucking dudes. Like I, I'm so happy that you're on here. Um, is that as true? If we're in, we come into a room and we have a shitty fucking attitude, it, it changes that fucking dynamic of the room, but we come into that room and we're light and jovial and we fucking leave that ego oh. at the door. Oh yeah. We can, we can turn somebody shooting we can, off party poppers it's and a good we time. can get people to do whatever oh, what? we want them to do. Literally. And I don't mean that like, yeah, like manipulation take thing. Off and dance on the table, but like, yeah, like I can make fun anywhere. Yeah. It's, it's pretty crazy. The power of that, right? It's weird. And I think that I've only just begun to understand that through how I've wrecked some of my own personal relationships because yeah. of that, where I refused to give up on that stubborn attitude just to like, keep people from from being vulnerable being yeah. open because it's easy for me to dislike people from a distance it's hard to dislike people when they're up close and getting personal Fuck and, yeah man you know it, that's that's the thing oh god man it drives me crazy and i and i'm not a social media person like 
I have Facebook, but I don't know how to fucking use it. Right. Like I don't like I don't have anything about me on there, right? I just had it I had to get it for some but and then I have Instagram, but anytime I follow somebody on Instagram and that gets negative, I just fucking I don't follow them anymore because I don't need that fucking negative bullshit in my life that that people are speaking from a computer or a phone and telling me how shitty I am because of X, Y, and Z, right. you know? Right. And then they're a big, no, no offense to fat people, but a big fat piece of shit well, telling I mean, me how to do something. Right. Well, I mean, I mean, just like David said in his book, I mean, you're just calling it what it is. If you yep. can't be realistic about what you are and where you're at in life, you really don't have any hope of changing that. Yep. Like you said, you can either call yourself fat or you can call yourself a little bit heavy. One of the two is going to get you realistically towards the goals, and the other one's just going to kind of soften the blow as you don't really do shit about it yep, towards the correct. path of whatever you were doing. Yep. And it's like sometimes I think that a lot of these situations in the world today, as it, as it means, is about accountability. Mm-hmm. you got to look in the mirror and hold yourself right. If you're dumb, get an education. If you ain't smart enough on something, learn that motherfucker. It's out there. you got a supercomputer attached to your hand all day long. You can Google anything. Ask yeah. it anything. It will tell you. It will tell you. It's going to tell you. And 99% <laughs> of the time, it's right. Yep. Like, it usually doesn't spit out the wrong shit. It's like, and it's crazy that people want to go around in this age of information, or what should be the age of information, without information. It's a fucking age of stupidity, if you ask me. Like, I, I say that with with sarcasm, but there's just fucking people just not wanting to be good humans. Yeah. And it drives me crazy. Dude, it's, it's insane. It's like... Uh, uh, one of the things that, and it's so small, like whenever I take the van out and I go stay anywhere the morning after I get up with a little grocery sack and I go around and just pick up trash. Oh, do I think I can like, I'm not a global warming guy. I'm not a giant recycler or save the environment guy. But like when I go out to Lone Star Lake or Clinton Lake, and these are places in our, in a place like Lawrence who does care about the community where we've got a lot of nature, health conscious folks. And you go out there to just these lakes, just two, three miles outside of town where your kids can play and, there's wildlife out there that needs to be seen and can be seen and so much outdoor activity that this town doesn't get. And people are just littering everywhere. I know. Just trash crazy. and everything. And it's crazy. It's like this, uh, this newfound attitude of it's not my job or it's not my responsibility. It's like, yeah, it kind of is, though. Like, it's that, you, you bring something up that's I find super, a couple things that I find super interesting. When we're on our walks in the morning, too, we'll – you know, if I have something, I'll pick up some trash or I'll pick it up and put it in a thing. And I say to Jill, I'm like, people still litter. Like, literally. Did like, you make a conscious choice to like throw a Coke can out of your window? Yeah. I'm like, people still litter. Like, and then I go, and then when we see somebody smoke, we go, people still smoke. Right. Like it's such an interesting thing that we know both of those things kill. Right. Facts. Facts. And they, people still litter. And still smoke. Well, it blows my mind more so in this town when you go downtown at night and it's the young crowd, young kids that are smoking. And like you could tell that they haven't been smoking for long, just the way right. they hold it. And they, yeah. They draw it and pull it to the, you could tell they're rookies at it. And mm-hmm. it's like, not only do you look silly doing it, like you should feel silly doing it. And like, I don't understand how like it's still a thing in society. Like I you know, said, it's so weird. It's very weird how sensation it's it's a super crazy i've never understood it you know one of the things that i i talk about with people too that are trying to or when we just talk about drinking because i haven't i haven't drank in 20 years is that when people start drinking whiskey i'm like now i understand why people drink i get it but it's like when people go it's an acquired taste i'm like yeah it tastes like shit yeah until 
until you feel the buzz. And then you go, oh, I can tolerate the shittiness until I get the buzz. Yeah. And so that's what I tell my boys, right? Um, Because they have a dad that's an alcoholic. So that's in recovery. I say, you guys are going to drink. Okay. But just know it's going to taste like shit. You have to force yourself to like it. And that's when they, when people, when you hear that acquired taste, that's what it is. You're forcing yourself to like the thing. I think so. And even when, even when you drink beer, right? Like even when I had one that was like, Oh, this is delicious. Right. It's all fake. We're all faking it. Like this is, I, I, we're going to go down this fucking a white claw or something. We're, and then you can really be like, Oh, that lime margarita is tasty. Yeah. Because it's all fucking sugar. Right. right. But when you're drinking Grain a, alcohol, a fucking Guinness, right. Yeah. You're like, Oh, this is delicious. Bullshit. I, I love the hops. as it hits yeah. my lips. <laughs> right. No, you don't. You like getting fucked up you like, or you like, like a buzz or you like the pretentiousness and of the social. And I get yeah. some people are really like, they're no, like, Oh, I'm social it. drinkers. Like, I mean, I'm the same. I'm a snob about, I used to be, I'm not so much anymore, about coffee. I was the same way. It, coffee tastes like shit. Right. It, I mean. It takes creamer and sugar to make yeah, it taste good. Yeah, it tastes good. good. Or two scoops of protein powder, which is how I drink it now. Right. Is you that know? how you do it? Yeah. I put I've two never scoops. done that. Is yeah. that where it's at? Oh, Stan. Um, efforting. Efforting. Is it Stan yeah. Efforting? For a vertical diet? Is it, It's him or John Anderson. Okay. One of those two guys. I saw it on um, something that they wrote that just to get that extra yeah. protein that big guys like us need, no he puts kidding, it in his coffee. coffee. No yeah, kidding. and Mark Bell does it now too. With okay, his, I'm gonna have to look into it. I fucking love it. It's the only way I can drink my morning coffee now. Well, I only re- I only started drinking coffee within the last two weeks. Of course, of course, I'm not, you I'm not a big coffee guy. <laughs> like, don't get me wrong. I like I smoke. I like to get out there. I'm 420 friendly, mm-hmm. yeah. but I don't really have many other vices besides that. Mm-hmm. Like, and like even coffee, I've always just been like, ah, I don't drink. I don't drink coffee. But no. my girlfriend drinks coffee, and like, there's something about. If you add the morning energy, the dew in the air, and then you add the smell of coffee in, even if you don't drink it, you're like a Folgers fucking commercial, man. You're it's like, it's gotta be, yeah. Morning in my cup or whatever. Hey, the fuck shout out to Folgers if you're out there. Hit me up. I got some ideas. I got for some, some ideas for some morning some commercials. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, um, uh, speaking of 420 friendly, um, what about psychedelics? You ever? Yeah, yeah. You um, psychedelics? You know, and I don't know if I've ever admitted this to any of my arm wrestling team, but I like to take like one or two grams of mushrooms before I go out and arm wrestle. Nice. And only once or twice have I honestly like been so deep inside of a mushroom that I forgot like that I was honestly arm wrestling somebody. And then when I snapped, I was like, oh shit, somebody's got a hold of my arm. Like they're trying to do something. But there is, I don't think a lot of people really put in the value of uh, microdosing psychedelics for cardiovascular activity, for running, and for uh, jujitsu, endurance sports, even some strength sports. I think that some of them take a lot more technicality than others. But man, I've been really, I've only recently just got into psychedelics as well. Mm-hmm. I've tried DMT, you know, probably 10 times total. Mm-hmm. Um, Smoking really, it. Yeah, yep. or vaporizing it as okay. well. Uh, very big fan of it, but I've really got just started getting into the mild effects of uh, mushroom psychedelics, and it's really been a lot of fun and eye-opening, very eye-opening. Um, so I have a, I had another friend on that I learned through that I go to jujitsu with, and he talked to me. He walked us through his ayahuasca ayahuasca experience and and does mushrooms, and 
I haven't done any psychedelics in over 20 Bri- years. Briefly tell me about that. He went somewhere to do an ayahuasca yep. thing? Or the, yeah, so he, he went, went somewhere. To camp and did yeah, he did the whole ceremony for like day. Like a Kentucky-style yeah, oh yeah. thing. Yep. Did the whole like um, preparation two weeks, then the fast. and then they want stuff. you to get your mind right. Yep. They want you to go in there because... And see, I think that's some of the thing that people mess around with. It's like mushrooms you can take casually, but when you start getting into ayahuasca DMT, mm-hmm. you can't. You just don't sit down on your couch and smoke a blunt with some DMT in it. It's like if you're not investing your time into that journey because yep. you're about to you're about to get into some shit. Especially like, ayahuasca, man. You're, I yeah. mean, because DMT's what fifteen minutes at best. It's yeah. like eight hours of that. You better be ready to filter in some yep. stuff. Yep. So. Um, have you started doing like any big trips, like five, six grams of mushrooms yet? No, I have not yet, but I definitely, I'm definitely interested in it. I want the lasting effects of DMT just for a little bit longer, Yeah, you know, but not much. What what do you, what do you know about that? Is that something? Oh, I mean, if you want to go on that spiritual journey, that's, you got to get, you got to take big doses of. Do you think that more people in society today would be open to other cultural things, ideas, just different things. It's like, what is, 100%. what is it about mushrooms that really can change your psyche? Like, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not a fucking expert in this. Right. Um, by any means, but I mean, I've it, been, let's, let's put that out there for everybody. I yeah. mean, neither of us are experts. On I'm that. not ex- an expert. I am a recovering drug addict. So I've done a lot of fucking drugs in my life. Right? Fair enough. And I mean, and that I've done a lot of, own. I've done a lot of LSD in my life. Yeah. Right. Um, and I've spent the last four or five years thinking and processing about getting back into psychedelics and what that looks like for somebody that is in recovery, right? right? So really paying attention to what are my intentions, right? Exactly. And my intentions to get higher and my intentions to, to expand my brain and think about things differently. Once again, there's, an, over pleasure. there's intent even with that, right? Because you could say... I'm trying to expand my brain and mind. Let's just use weed, for example, sure. with weed and I'm getting high. And you know, right. It's and fun. You're gonna, it's fun. yeah. So there's intent there. Sure. Um, that's different than things that can go along with the spirituality piece and trying to find a bigger you and a bigger universe and whatever, but there you're getting high. So I really want to make sure when I go embark on, on um, psychedelics again, the intent is, is not to get high. The intent is to have an experience bigger than myself. So I've been spending a lot of time doing a lot of research around that, listening to a lot of things. What I've come to find out through that is the help that mushrooms can give people, whether they're um, soldiers with PTSD, whether they're mothers with PTSD, trauma alone, uh, mushrooms have, have, have helped people out with that. Um, I mean, they're legal out in Seattle and some in California. Am I right? California, there's is it okay? California, San Francisco area, they're decriminalized. Right. So I mean, it's basically like if you get caught going and do nothing, but yep. And, and Denver de- decriminalized as well. So it's starting to make a movement of stuff, and now they're. Um, I think. Uh, and I'm gonna get. I'm gonna fuck this up because I'm not 100 percent sure. There are research institutes, um, legitimate research institutes, that have now been given the go ahead to be able to do like research on psychedelics, so people can go to these things and, like and human take psychedelics. Yeah. Trials and yeah, and so that's happening. Um, 
more and more, and they're finding that it's helping people's mental health. Well, I, mean, I don't know, like you touched on with the soldiers and mental health, I'd read an article just recently that was saying just that is that even the VA is looking into doing some yep. microdosing through mushrooms because it helps with severe trauma. Yep. And, and, and I don't know what it does about, you know, when I took DMT, it really was a, it was a release of ego, but it was also a better understanding of, self like i came out of it feeling stronger than i had because i realized the machine that i was in was bigger and stronger than i gave it credit for and i didn't like i wasn't quite realizing my potential and i've heard similar things that it can really help a ptsd person yep. and it it's it's that's that's what they say i don't i, I, don't, I, mean, I even, haven't met anybody you and i have ptsd i mean i have trauma i don't trauma. know yeah trauma. but i mean if, if you have trauma and it's from your past it's yeah. post-traumatic stress i mean yep. whether you have a constant disorder that affects your anxiety out in the world or whatever we still have moments yeah. of pts you know yeah so i think that even for us microdosing and stuff you know, it takes more responsibility to go out there, like you said, and do it for purpose over pleasure. Yeah. I, and that's where that's, I mean, I'm, I'm leaning, I'm going to do it. Yeah. It's just when and who what do you think you're going to, you know, an empty room out in the woods. It's like what, you know, so well, I'm these... definitely going to, I'm definitely going to go to Peru. Yeah. I've been sorry, to Peru. mom, but I'm definitely going to do go to Peru and do an ayahuasca Heck retreat. Yeah. I've that's been to, definitely, I've been to Peru, but. Jill and I are doing that for sure together what on that existence. What an experience, my man. Like a two-week inclusive yep. thing. It's like. We're going to do it. And I don't know when we're going to do it, but we're doing it. Do you and guys got to maybe video we're gonna, vlog that? Oh, I'm going to do all know? kinds of shit around that. And then um, the mushrooms is more about. Jill's, Jill's a little nervous about doing the mushrooms more than me. So I have to figure out like. If she's so nervous, she doesn't want to do them all together. So I have to find somebody to, to, I don't want to do them all alone. Right. Like right. either want somebody to do them with me. And then we have a third person to kind of, I'm fucking almost 50 years old and I haven't done psychedelics in 25 years. So I don't need to be walking through my neighborhood. Like, right. Like it's going to be sniffing fire hydrant. Right. Cause I'm like, you know, yeah. Cause they're going to be like, okay, take him to his former employer <laughs> right. and get screened. Right. You know, I need somebody to, you know, take me out to the woods or oh, for do sure. whatever and just hang and, out. And anytime I've done DMT, we always had a moderator there. Yeah. Somebody that's just, cause I have dosed people before on the DMT that I had. And within like seconds, they're like, dude, make sure I'm still breathing. Am I breathing? It's like, man, you got to relax. You got to let the thing do its thing. It's like sometimes you need somebody to keep you grounded. Does it shoot you to the center of the universe pretty quickly? Most of the time, yes, yeah. it does. But I think if you have a lot of apprehension and fear, mm -hmm. you can stay grounded and rooted and like hold on to Just it a little on bit. To it but not eventually, like it kind of like takes you no matter what. So I have, a, I have a really good friend that went to Peru and did ayahuasca. And he would um, send me these long email journeys, journal entries each day. Yeah. And then... I would just, I would just tell him, I would just tell him every day I loved him and just lean into it and da, da, da. And like, it was just amazing just to be, a, just to be a part of that while he was going through email. What, what was coming back from that? What was like, he? So like lots of things were like, um, prepping him, right? Like each day in his, um, ayahuasca journey was prepping him for like the biggest one. And I'd have to go and read the email, but like, it was like, boom, boom. And then boom so they like micro micro and then no, it was the same dose oh, okay but like his journey his psychedelic uh, journey was prepping him for the final battle or whatever the thing was that right. he did on the last day like it wasn't right into the the battlefield the first day interesting yeah it was really an interesting 
um, experience. He's yeah. So and it's weird to think that you know it's like people have been doing this for a long time. This isn't an ayahuasca recipe that just came up in oh, nineteen no. diggity two. Like people have been drinking this plant and using this root for the longest time. Well, it's well, it's DMT, right? Like we yeah, already produce it, yeah, yeah. right? What's crazy about the f- what 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 fascinates me about people, right? Especially ayahuasca and figuring that out they figured out they have to do and, I, and i'm gonna i don't know the, the the root or the drug that you have to take along with it so it so you get the psychedelic effects of it the but, mdma uh i don't know what it is like to do ayahuasca naturally right you have to take a root yeah or something that goes along with it so it the effects happen right because if you just take ayahuasca alone yeah it doesn't it's like an inhibitor i think it right? is the mdma yeah and so the fact that they figured that out, you yeah, know, 3,000, 4,000 years right. ago that to do that. two weird plants together. I'm going to see the, the aliens, right? And that's the craziest thing, too, is everybody sees aliens. Right. Yeah. They see aliens when they go on, when they're doing ayahuasca. That tells me something. I yeah. don't know what it tells me. It's telling me something, though. I saw a spirit figure, like a, what I would yeah. consider a spirit figure the first time, and it was almost terrifying, you know. But the second, uh, the last time I've seen DMT is weird. Like with mushrooms, it's like if I take mushrooms, I want to do mushrooms once a week. I want to kind of get there and get my mind right and get my headspace back together. But DMT is so powerful that I, the last time I did it was maybe two or three years ago. You do it and it fucking wrecks your mind for a minute. And you're like, yeah. all right, I'm not going to need this. For I'm a good while. for a while. Like, yeah. yeah. Let, let me get off of this. And I think sometimes if you go down that journey too much, like some of these. Oh, Timothy yeah. Leary and some of these other people that may have done that a little too much. It's yep. like, who, who knows how far you can get from the rabbit hole. Yeah, and they fucking, man, those sons of bitches make acid good now. Back when my day when I was getting it in Newton, you would, you didn't know which kind you were getting. Like, you'd get right. some, you're fucking, mix it with strychnine and your fucking neck would fucking Jeez. fucking seize up the next day and you're like fuck terrifying for yeah. me and I've, all I've eaten is a couple of mushroom chocolates and yeah man back in the day man that you never knew what kind of, if you were going to get good acid or bad acid like it was word like oh this is supposed to be really good da, da, da. right now from what I understand because I haven't done it is you get good acid I mean just acid is just good now well these new age nerds are out there really making sure that yeah. you know they, a lot of people are taking more pride in their in their shit now because yeah. they can brand it too you know yeah. that's you know they, they get behind their own brands and yeah oh yeah the whole branding thing right yeah everything's so. high quality and everybody's got a brand yeah. you know? so um what are you what are you doing now like what's what's the well, what's the, the next step is uh you know moving on into the ladder of 2020 the craziest year we've all been alive you know, it's really hard to say what is the plan, you know. I built the van for van life and traveling and exploring, but it seems like it's really hard to do that right now. Right. A lot of places aren't open. You can't travel and see things. There's national park closures. You know, eventually I'll need to get another job and money of some kind. It's like, who knows if I'm going to be willing to work in a place that requires me to wear a mask or... Yeah, right. There's all kinds of social shit going on. But my main focus right now is continuing to become a badass arm wrestler under the Psycho Psycho Arm Sports uh, banner and brand. Continuing to develop my personal relationships with my friend and my girlfriend. Continuing to develop my interpersonal relationships with my family. And continue to do the, you know, weightlifting thing. I, I, I go to the gym and I work out and stuff, but it's I'm so much more interested in developing myself right now. I've Arm wrestling's taking care of itself. I've developed my body a lot. Like yeah. I, I'm trying to develop my brain and my heart. That's know? awesome, dude. Keep, to, the, keep to, the maintenance on the body, 
but put the time and effort in the, the heart and the mind. Exactly. Cause yeah. I think, you know, the machine will take care of itself. I want to be healthy enough to where I can do a hundred burpees under 10 minutes all the time. And mm-hmm. I'm not into running. I don't feel like you should run unless you're chased. Right. But I still want to be strong and fit and be able to do, you know, a hundred pushups and do all this other stuff, but I don't need to, you know, bend bars, squatting and deadlifting anymore, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Right. So if you, you know, if I, if I think about you and I think about as we kind of wrap this stuff up, for today is that if you put as half the effort that you put into creating the physical specimen they are into your heart and mind, you're going to, you're, you're going to, you're going to be a more of a beautiful man than you, than you already are. I, I believe it. Well, it's crazy that we've, some of the topics we've talked about have been so parallel in the way that we think. And it's funny that you even say this in closing, because I've realized that in my life that is exactly the reason why i failed at so many other things is because i've become so one and like and i tell people this all the time when i meet people it's like i'm one dimensional i really am like i'm going to talk to you about the gym and arm wrestling and probably not about i don't really uh, give a shit. my life doesn't really revolve around anything else right but then in itself is the paradox of the problem is i've invested so much into this and i'm starting to take that discipline that i have learned through this put it into my other life and my relationship life because like you said, once I do that, I know in my heart I will, you know, I've got the physical things. I need to bring it together in the other ways, like you said, because if not, I'm not going to make it. You know, my mental, and I, I know mental health is sensitive issues, but, and for me, and I can say that, if I don't bring my heart and get my head right, I'm going to be one of those people. I'm yep. going to be one of the 22 a day, a veteran suicide. Yep. And, I, and, I'm not, and I'm not going down like that. Nope. I got friends. I got family. I got people that love me. And it's super important that, like, if you're out there and you realize you got something going on, you address it with somebody else. You take care of it. Like, you got to get out there and speak to people. There's people out there that can help, you know, straight up. Brother, I'm so happy you came on. You're we're going to we're gonna have to do this again. Oh, you're so. the man, brother. All right, everybody. Remember, perseverance through strength and vulnerability. Love you all. Peace. Thank you.